welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. If you would remain standing once you're done, I know some of you have already sat, but if you would remain standing for our scripture reading, it is very good to be with you. And our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. It's on page 1060 if you'd like to follow along. One of the resurrection passages in the Gospels, Luke 24. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, Suddenly, two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself, what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. It is so very good to be with you on this bright and, thank you, sunny Easter morning as we consider and celebrate Jesus's resurrection from the dead, the return of our good King. And I want to start by telling you exactly where I am at these days and where I'm coming from in particular Today, so there are no surprises. Every time I've thought about this message over the past few weeks, I've had the exact same recurring thought. And here's what it is just tell them where you're at, come out with it right up front, say it straight right at the beginning. So that's how I'm going to begin. And I realize right about now, you may be, or some of you may be thinking, I've got some scandalous insider news to share. (laughs) Don't get too excited, stay calm, it's not that big of a deal. But here's where I'm at, and I'm going to give this to you in four parts, and they sort of build from one to the next. First of all, I am so over the rain. (laughs) We should clap to that, by the way. We really ought to clap to that. I'm just over it. I'm really thankful we had it. We obviously needed it, but no mas, please. And it looks like yesterday it started this, but it looks like after... A long, dark winter, the resurrection of our California weather has begun, and I, for one, am glad. Second, I'm tired of the only news being bad news. There we go. Maybe you've noticed, as I have, how popular unhope has become. And I realize, just as Sharon prayed, that this world can be ugly, life can be difficult. But I'm just tired of only hearing the bad news. I'm tired of the good news constantly being undercut by potential bad news. For example, for years we've been hearing about the drought, how desperately 
We need the rain. And now we've had this wonderfully wet winter. The lakes and the rivers and the reservoirs are full. The mountains are stuffed with 3,000 feet of snow. Now, it seems to me that this is really good news. And I'm not, you know, a weather person or a soil person or where does the rain go? I don't know any of that. But it seems like this is really good news. But a week ago, I saw an article about a new crisis created by the rain. It seems we are all now facing a summer of blood-sucking mosquitoes as a result of all this water. And I say to these little friends who are mosquitoes, have at it, fellas, as long as the forecast is sunny and warm. I mean, really? Can we celebrate the good news about the rain for maybe a week? Before we strategize about the mighty mosquitoes. I'm tired of the bad news being the only news. Third, today I've got some remarkable news to share. In fact, it is the best news you will ever hear in your entire life. Not because I'm going to say it poetically. And not because I'm going to say it profoundly. It's the best news you will ever hear. Because this news quite literally changed the world And has the potential to change everything in each of our lives. 2,000 years ago, just outside the city of Jerusalem, Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross and was buried in a donated tomb. But a few days later, he walked out of his grave fully alive and he remains alive to this day. And the world changed forever the instant this happened. Now maybe part... 3A of my little list is to admit that in sharing this good news, I am relying on Luke's report of Jesus' resurrection, and I'm proceeding through the rest of my time as though it's true and as though it actually happened. And I realize not everybody who is watching online or sitting in this room believes this. For some, the resurrection story sounds like nonsense, just as it did... To the disciples when the women who had seen the empty tomb first reported it. To others who might be online or in this room, they believe in the resurrection like they believe the California gold rush started at John Sutter's mill. So what? What difference does it actually make this coming Wednesday? An actual or practical unbelief in the resurrection makes sense to me because it is a uniquely extraordinary claim that defies science and defies the personal experience of every creature that has ever lived. Dead things don't return. Occasionally they are revived or resuscitated, but they eventually die again and stay dead. I mean, the stats are quite convincing on this. 100%. Of all creatures that have ever lived, have eventually died and stayed dead. But here's the thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul says, If Jesus has not been raised, then our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. If the dead are not raised, he says, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. 
See, there is no Christian faith without the resurrection. There is no Christian faith without the resurrection. The whole enterprise rests on whether or not Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So the resurrection is very much the launching pad of the whole Christian endeavor. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, I'm not asking you to. And I'm not even going to try to convince you. But for the next few minutes, I'm asking all of us to be like Peter. D-W-P-D. Do what Peter did. He heard about the empty tomb, as we read in Luke 24. He ran to have a look inside, and then he walked away, and Luke says, wondering to himself what had happened. For these few minutes we have together, let's wonder about the resurrection. Consider it. Taste it. And if we don't like it, order something else. Peter got up and ran to the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Remember, Peter is the one who fumbled the ball at the goal line just a few days prior. He failed at the crucial moment. And ever since he failed, he's been drowning in despair and in guilt. But now, as he walks away from the tomb, maybe there's hope. Of course, is hope is mixed with doubt. Of course it is. Of course, whatever hope might be rising in him is tempered by skepticism. He's obviously not 100% sure. But 100% certainty is not a prerequisite of Christian hope. See, Christian hope is a confident expectation that God is good and is gradually bringing forth his good purposes. How confident? Well, it's not 100% certainty. We just need a flicker of confidence to kind of pivot toward God. And he has a track record of taking it from there. Christian hope is not wishful thinking or burying our head in the sand to the harsh realities of this world. It's not the same as modern progress. Having hope obviously doesn't mean everything turns out exactly the way we want it to in our lives or in the lives of those we love. Christian hope is a confident expectation that God is good and is gradually bringing forth his good purposes. And here's the key. The resurrection of Jesus is the birth and the bedrock of Christian hope. And I imagine as Peter wondered what had happened on that first resurrection Sunday, I imagine that deep inside of him, he wanted to hope. He ached for hope. Some years later, Peter wrote a letter to a group of people who were barely hanging on. Life was hard. Their circumstances were tough. And Peter wrote to them and said, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. I love the image of living hope. Peter experienced a little taste of living hope as he walked away from the tomb and wondered what was going on. Hope was born at the resurrection and is forever 
linked to the resurrection. Living hope is not mystical. It's not ethereal. And it's not hard to comprehend. Rather, it is hope in the middle of our real life situations. It is hope that has something definitive to say to the aches and the pains and the longings we all carry in our hearts. So the resurrection brings hope that we can actually and finally have peace with God. The message of the Bible is that our sin separates us from God. The divine and human relationship that was supposed to be together is broken. And Jesus' Good Friday death on the cross makes it possible now for our sin to be forgiven and for our relationship with God to be restored. Romans 5, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Romans 8, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And those are just words if Jesus is still dead. But his power to forgive sin is confirmed by his power over the grave. Again, Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, if Jesus wasn't raised, we are still in our sins. Because if Jesus wasn't raised, these are Mike's words, not Paul's, but if Jesus wasn't raised, he's just another crazy person making crazy claims that he can't back up. Now, truth is, most people are not thinking much about this religious stuff. We're busy with our jobs, our families, our careers, obligations, goals, and we're busy thinking about who the first round opponent of the Sacramento Kings will be. I could respond, but I won't. People aren't walking around thinking about sin or peace with God any more than they're thinking about the insulation in their attic. But occasionally, as you may know, life happens. And when life happens, for various reasons, we may actually wonder about the deeper issues and the deeper questions, such as, why am I actually here? Do I matter? Does my life matter? Sometimes for reasons we can't quite pinpoint, our lives are packed full, plenty to do, but we are restless within. There's always plenty to do. But there's this memory of God echoing within us, calling out to us, and we're not sure what to do about it. Or maybe we're occasionally, for reasons we can't figure out, just burdened by a condemnation or shame that lays heavy on our heart. And in these times, when they come, we might wonder if God is real and if he is reachable and if he can be known or experienced in any meaningful way. And the Bible goes out of its way to say, yes, he is real and reachable, and he can be known. And because of the cross and the resurrection, we now have hope for peace with God. We can be forgiven of all of our sins, all of our guilt, all of our failures. Our restlessness can find peace. Our condemnation can find grace. And no one is too far gone. No one is beyond God's reach. The invitation is open to everyone. We can actually know him and be known by him and be in relationship with him and be at peace with him. 
The resurrection also brings hope for the renewal of the old and the broken. A few weeks ago, the lower hinge on our back fence gate decided to fall off and stop working. So the gate is no longer a gate. It's a slab of heavy wood. And when you try to open it as if it's a gate, the slab that used to be a gate just dumps to the ground. And so it needs repair. It needs renewal. I know how the gate feels. I got plenty of broken hinges. We all have broken hinges. Things needing renewal. I love the word renewal. And by things needing renewal, I don't mean bad backs and jaw pain and knee soreness. I mean broken hinges, like something in our past that continues to disrupt our present. Or some aspect of our character, like anger perhaps, that needs renewal. Or a broken hinge in a key or close relationship that, rem- that makes the relationship hard and less than what it could be. The New Testament book of Ephesians says the exact same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is now available to renew the old and the broken in us. I find that remarkable. God's power resurrected a dead Jesus and his power can resurrect whatever is old and broken and dead in us. So the resurrection does not just mean hope for life after death. It means hope for life before death. The hope of renewal right now. The first disciples were renewed and transformed by God's resurrection power at work within them. Peter had broken hinges. He had a big mouth. He had good intentions that he didn't always act on. And he was sure he was right. And he was sure who was wrong, except he wasn't right about either. He blew it big time a couple days earlier. But God's resurrection power over time renewed Peter's broken hinges, and he eventually became a new man. I could name people sitting in this room this second who had big time broken hinges. I'll put my name at the top of the list. But over time, by God's power and by his grace, these broken hinges have been renewed by resurrection power. See, because of the resurrection, our character can actually be transformed. Anger can become patience. Bitterness can become forgiveness. Wounds from the past can be healed. Close and key relationships can be different because we can be different. The resurrection also brings hope that there is more than meets the eye. Statistics and polls indicate that religion in America is on the decline, but spiritual hunger remains high, even in those who identify as atheist or agnostic or none of the above. In the words of one writer, the most secular of us all are haunted by transcendence. 
And there are all sorts of theories as to why religion in our country is declining. But I wonder if part of the reason is that when religious people offer trite answers to tough questions and oversimplified solutions to the many mysteries and complexities of life and faith and God, we suck the soul right out of religion. And things like wonder and astonishment and mystery and beauty are pushed aside for a faith that looks a lot like a formula, a Bible that is read like a rule book, a church that acts like a corporation, and a God who heals like a golden doodle. In short, when earth kicks heaven out of religion, religion is just not that intriguing. But at the resurrection, heaven and earth are intertwined. When the women saw the empty tomb, Luke says, they wondered about this. When Peter heard the news of the empty tomb, he ran to see it. Then he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. At the resurrection, heaven and earth were right next to each other. And people could sense it. And I'm guessing we've all had similar, though obviously less extreme, experiences. We sit at the ocean or hike a mountain trail or stare at the sky on a starlit night or sit at the feet of a little child or gather with those we love on a warm spring day and we sense something in those moments that seems like it is from another world. A world beyond the unenchanted world of facts and figures and sight, sound, and touch and the beauty and the wonder of the experience awaken our souls. Something real is happening. One writer calls this cross pressure. The pressure of experiencing what seems like heaven when we only really believe in earth. Our heads say in those moments, nope, this is all there is. What I can see, what I can touch, what I can hear. But in those sacred moments, our hearts say, yeah, there's something more. Celtic spirituality calls these thin places. Places and experiences where heaven and earth are right next to each other. And we can sense it. The resurrection was a thin place where the invisible became visible. The world beyond our world made itself known and it left people wondering. And it still leaves people wondering. See, the resurrection is a profound announcement about the reality of a bigger world beyond the one we can see and beyond the one we can hear and beyond the one we can touch. There is more than meets the eye. And we were made, each one of us, we were made with an ache for something beyond what we can codify, identify, simplify, verify with microscopes, telescopes, or experiments. We were made for something more. If we take the time and clear the deck every so often and pay attention to what churns within, if we step away from the pack schedule and simply pay attention to what churns within, we might discover that as Ecclesiastes says, 
God has set eternity in the human heart. Lastly, the resurrection brings hope for an uncertain future. When Jesus walked out of his tomb, the world changed forever because God demonstrated in the resurrection that he himself was more powerful than sin and more powerful than evil and more powerful than even death itself. So a new world was born that day where God's incomparable power is on the loose. And that means, hard as this may be to believe, the clock is now ticking for chaos and suffering and pain and death and evil. Their time is running out. We all know they still wreak their havoc, but the clock is now ticking. And those who are in Christ can now face the uncertain future with living hope. Because there is nothing coming in that uncertain future that is stronger or bigger or more powerful than God. And the future is uncertain. You know it as well as I do. We do not know what tomorrow will bring. Our first grandchild arrives supposedly the first or second week of June. As a side note, this has nothing to do with nothing, but... As a side note, you know you're overdue on grandchildren when complete strangers at the dentist and DMV ask, so do you have grandchildren? (laughs) Must be the grayish hair. (laughs) You caught that? Grayish. What sort of world will our granddaughter face in 25 years? What will it be like? What sort of life will she have? If all this chaos keeps chaosing, what's it going to be like 30 years from now? You can only come up with one word, uncertain. But here's the thing, the resurrection of Jesus gives us living hope for that uncertain future because whatever it brings, God is king And he can most certainly handle it. The future might still have pain. Might have cancer. The future is going to have broken hinges of various kinds. There will be terrible tragedies in the world in the future. But the good news that devours all this bad news is that Jesus is risen. So a new world has begun. It's not yet fully here but it has started and it's on its way and someday the bible tells us it will be here in full and resurrection life and power and goodness will seep into every corner of the universe god has promised this and on that day all will finally and fully and perfectly be well, because God has said so. And because the resurrection proves him the most powerful, that is a certain future beyond the uncertain future. So that certain future, there will be no more pain, no more death, no more school shootings, no more tragedies. No more tears. 
the living hope we catch a glimpse of today will be realized beyond our wildest imagination. I want to ask you to close your eyes just for a few minutes as I wrap this up. And I want us to consider and really zero in on that future day, those who are in Christ will be made new. On that future day, the world will be made new. On that future day, heaven and earth will intertwine fully and forever, and every place will be a thin place. All the broken hinges on that day will be renewed. The old will be gone, and the new will arrive. Now, this all may sound like an infomercial, but the resurrection is the first deposit toward this new world where death and sin and evil no longer destroy. But they are in fact destroyed. And the goodness of God prevails and permeates. It is an amazing story. It is the Christian story and Christian hope. And it is why today we must raise a glass and offer a toast or two to our resurrected king. Who will one day make all things new. And on that day, all things will finally be well. This may sound like hype. It's only one letter different than hope. But this is what the Bible declares over and over and over again. When Jesus walked out of the grave, a new world started. And that day, hope started to make sense. It makes sense to put your hope in the one who is the strongest of the strong. It makes sense to put your hope in the one who cannot be defeated by the strongest opponent. It makes sense to put your hope in the one who one day will make all those in Christ new, whole, and will make the world new and whole. He says so in Revelation chapter 21, right near the end of the Bible. How fitting to finish it up by talking about the future, the certain future, because God has said so. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. 
Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true.